Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for listening to the show all around the world, wherever you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for giving me your ears. Okay, so when I started this podcast nearly four years ago, I had a list of animals I wanted to cover. And one of those animals at the top of the list was the snow leopard. You know, I think I was always so fascinated with the snow leopard because they are so elusive and there's so much we just don't know about them. There's so much we have yet to learn. And I found out about this awesome organization called the Snow Leopard Trust. And they do great conservation work. And I really wanted to basically have them, you know, and feature them on the show. And, it, you know, I'm going to be honest, it took a few years to finally track a researcher down to kind of get in touch with the Snow Leopard Trust. They're busy. They're out in the field. But ladies and gentlemen, we finally have it. On the program, I have Kastab, and he is a senior regional ecologist for the Snow Leopard Trust. He has been working with the Snow Leopard Trust for 14 years, and he has been studying this elusive animal. And, you know, snow leopards, by the way, their nicknames are called the Ghosts of the Mountain. So Kastab has been studying snow leopards for 14 years with the Snow Leopard Trust. He has only seen two in real life, only two snow leopards in 14 years of studying them out in the field. This is how elusive they are. And it just fascinates me to no end. The really cool thing now, though, with today's technology is they're able to track individuals now using radio collars. They're able to track them using camera traps. And that's what they do to try to get a better understanding of these elusive animals. You are going to really enjoy this conversation. I talked to Kastab just about what the Snow Leopard Trust is doing regarding conservation. There are conflicts with farmers and snow leopards eating livestock. We talk about that. We talk about the measures in place to try to prevent the livestock owners from retaliating and killing the snow leopards. We also talk about Kastab's experience encountering snow leopards. There's one encounter he tells, which just, it literally brings the hairs on the back of my neck. They just stand up. It is one of the most magnificent wildlife encounter stories I've ever heard on the podcast. You have to stay tuned for that. I just, I really love talking to this guy. A couple updates before we get to our awesome snow leopard interview with Kostab. I am, I guess the announcement is we are going to up the Patreon game. Now, for those of you who are wondering what in the world is Patreon, who is Patreon, what is this, what are you talking about? Patreon is a service, it's basically a way, it's kind of a membership site where you're able to support creators. So our Patreon members to the Animals of the Max podcast, they donate $5, $10, $15 a month, and it helps support the show. It goes to web hosting fees. As you know, this podcast is completely ad-free. It is a labor of love. And so I'm upping the Patreon game. We are going to start offering our Patreon members more because they help support us and we love them. So from now on, we are going to be offering exclusive interviews 
only for Patreon members. So a little behind the scenes information. When I do interviews for this podcast, I record the podcast on Skype. I have a call recorder. And then, you know, once we're done, we sign off. But typically I have conversations with the guest afterwards. And sometimes these conversations can be five, 10 minutes. I've had, I've actually had times where I've talked to a guest over an hour after I hit the stop record button. So I thought to myself, why don't I include those conversations for the Patreon members, like a VIP experience. It's kind of like an exclusive interview just for Patreon members. So I thought, let's do that. So from now on, we're going to be doing that. So for those of you listening to the show, you're still going to get the awesome interview. You're still going to get the great content, but Instead of me clicking the record button off at the end of the interview, I'm going to continue to let it roll and I will save that audio for Patreon members only. I had a fantastic time, by the way, talking to Kastab after this interview, uh, just regarding his experience working in India. I talked to him about Tigers, if he has had any close calls, uh, which he has, spoiler alert. We also talked to him, uh, you know, if Tigers predate on bears, that just blew my mind. Anyway, and we also go over some other awesome snow leopard facts. So if you do want to hear the full interview and get that exclusive behind the scenes content, head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash animals to the max. I will include a link in the show notes. With that said, let's get to it. Let's talk about the snow leopards, aka the ghost of the mountains. I am here with Kostub, a senior regional ecologist for the Snow Leopard Trust. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Corbin. Pleasure to be on your show today. Yes, and it's so weird. We finally figured out the whole time zone difference because where are you recording right now? <laughs> I'm in Bishkek, uh, the capital of the Kyrgyz Republic. And that is in Central Asia? That's in Central Asia, one of the 12 countries where snow leopards are found. Wow. And I'm in Idaho here and it is almost nine o'clock my time. We were trying to figure out what to do and it was just, I'm so happy we're <laughs> able to do this though on Skype and technology. We're fin finally able to nail down a time, which Wonderful. is, which is great. So I've been wanting to talk about snow leopards on the show for so long. I, I feel like because they're so elusive and there's so much we still need to know about them. Why are you fascinated with snow leopards? Exactly the reason you mentioned. The elusiveness and the fact that you don't get to see it easily is something that always got me intrigued by the species. Add to it their evolutionary uh, advantage, the evolutionary advantage they have over us in scaling these extremely rugged and uh, vertical mountains. And on top of that, they're the predators or they're the top predators, or you can call them as the thermometers of the health of the mountain ecosystems where they live. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a charisma added with the, uh, the beauty of the species and the mystery that it maintains around itself. Yeah, so when you were growing up, did you grow up in Bishkek? I'm probably butchering that. Did you, are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry, did you grow yeah, you up? You got it you... right. You got it right, Corbin. Okay. Absolutely right. Uh, uh, one of the rare few people who pronounced it perfectly. Really? I say so. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, right. So I, I didn't grow up in Bishkek. I was born in India. I grew up in a city called Bhopal in central India. Then I did my master's in physics and then I did my PhD in wildlife zoology for which I worked uh, 
in a in a tiger reserve for about five years. I lived in a tiger reserve for about five years. And once my PhD was over, I think that's when um, you know I got an opportunity to start working with the snow leopards, and I just grabbed it with both hands. Wow. Okay, so you were with tigers first. What I mean, were you always fascinated with tigers as a young boy, and then did you finally morph into snow leopards, or how how, how does it work? I think every child loves animals. Every child has this curiosity and fascination for animals. It depends on what you are introduced to, what you are, um, uh, what you are um, able to engage with. Sure. I I had my introduction to wildlife with birds, and it started fairly early when I was really uh, young. But but it slowly grew. I slowly grew into uh, liking big cats. I I have a PhD on. Uh, uh, which is not on a big cat. Uh, my PhD work was on a on a small antelope species. It's it's a unique antelope found only in India and Nepal, which has four horns. It's the only living animal which has four distinct horns. So I did my PhD on that little antelope, which of course happens to be tiger food as well. Oh, but <laughs> but while working on that species, living in an area which is uh, uh, which has, uh, which was rich in biodiversity, including tigers, wild dogs, uh, jackals, uh, deer, and of course antelopes. Uh, I, I started to uh, started to get fascinated by tigers. Furthermore, yes, of course. And I have to go back. What is the name of the the antelope species with four horns? What is the name? What? It's the four-horned antelope. The, <laughs> are you serious? That makes me sound <laughs> so educated on the animal podcast. That's really what it's called, the four-horned antelope. <laughs> in, in, in fact, in fact, if you get into the scientific name of the species, it's the same thing repeated twice. Tetraceras quadricornis. Both of the terms, the genus and the species, Name, they both mean the same. Four horns, four horns. One in Latin, one in Greek. What? Okay, I've, I've, I can honestly, I'm being honest. I've never heard of this four-horned an- <laughs> antelope. I'm being serious. You hear of all the megafauna, like the tigers, and you know, so you know, hear about you know the other types of animals in India. I've never heard of this four-horned antelope. Well, yeah, that, the various factors. One, of course, it's, it's very rarely studied. Okay, uh, there you go. Incidentally, there are very small number of studies on the species, mm. and then it's uh, quite elusive. You don't see it very often, but uh, yeah, that's the challenge, right? That's yeah. the challenging part, you know. Yes. And uh, and thirdly, it's only found in just two areas, uh, uh, two parts, uh, two countries of the world. So only in India and parts of Nepal. So yes, it's not widespread, which could be one of the reasons why not a lot of people know about it sure okay so you are there you are studying tigers this four horned or not studying but you were with tigers in india as you're studying these these four horned antelope correct absolutely and during the same time i got an opportunity to assist on an ongoing study on tigers which is where i also got my best education in ecology and wildlife science and that's how I got fascinated in a little bit of carnivore ecology and what these big cats are all about. Wow. Okay. And so you're doing that and then you have an opportunity with the Snow Leopard Trust. Did you ever think you'd be 
working or studying snow leopards? Nope. I was far I was at least a a thousand miles away from where snow leopards live and although I had heard of it seen it on pictures I I, I never thought I'll get to work with this beautiful charismatic species I must tell you a little secret here so when I started working on the snow leopards you know one has to climb up these uh, terrible mountains if you may say so (laughs) And every time I'm hiking up the mountains, I'm actually thinking back, why did I choose to work on the snow leopards <laughs> while I could have continued to work in the plains? But then, a few steps further, and then you start to uh, understand, you know, the mystery, mysterious life of snow leopards, right? And it's it's totally worth it. But yeah, that, that little, that little uh, momentary... Uh, thought of, oh, man, I have to climb up another 500 meters to set up one camera, which is going to be there, of course, as our eyes for the next six months. But yes, those, those in those moments, you always wonder, well, but then it's all worth it, I must say. <laughs> yes. And snow leopards, by the way, so they are just a little bit. So they're found in Central Asia, correct? They, uh, I'll, I'll put it like this. They're found in the mountains of Central and South Asia. Because India, Bhutan, Nepal, um, even Pakistan, they represent South Asia, right? So they're found in the mountains of these countries as well. But yes, they're towards the northern side uh, of these countries. Okay. And they're super elusive. Mm Mm-hmm. And okay, Absolutely. yeah, I mean, so let's just talk about that because there, I, I could imagine an elusive animal. I mean, it would be so incredibly hard to study. Absolutely, uh, Corbin. So one of the reasons why we knew very little about snow leopards until very recently is exactly that they're extremely, extremely elusive, and two, they're very difficult to follow because they have massive home ranges. Their home range could be, uh, let's say, five times the size of Seattle City. Wow. Yeah. So they're they're pretty big ranges that they. They uh, travel. Uh, they 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 uh, they move about in, and top on top of that, they are so well camouflaged that I've had an incident where I knew there was a snow leopard about 50, 60 meters uh, away from where I was standing because this snow leopard had a collar, and I just couldn't spot it. This guy cleverly just walked in a crevice and and vanished till we lost all signals, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean that proves that you know these guys have they, these 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 cats have that uh, invisibility cloak, if you may say so. <laughs> yes, they they do they do, and I love the Harry Potter reference. Thank you. I'm, all of our fans will love that. And I would say the snow leopard is the one animal. I mean, because I've been to a few zoos here in the United States, AZA accredited, some that are part of the Species Survival Program that are helping to breed the snow leopard. And when you go to the zoo, even just in an exhibit, they're hard to spot. I mean, they're one of the the most diff. I mean, seriously, one of the most difficult animals. And usually, when you go to a zoo, they'll say, "Look in this area." But still, they are very hard to spot, even in close proximity. That's true. That's true. Yep. That that's make that, that that's what makes snow leopards special, right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean. Okay, so for instance, I had someone on who studied wolverines, right? And Mm -hmm. she has only seen one wolverine in the years and years and years of work. 
how that that she's been studying wolverines right because they're super elusive here how many snow leopards have you seen out in the field out in the field two whoa whoa, whoa, wait two and how long have you been with the snow leopard trust uh 2021 november will be 13 years third actually 2021 november will be 14 years 14 years and you have seen two snow leopards yes that's not a good turnaround i mean we (laughs) Uh absolutely not (laughs) guess what we have a few colleagues who are heading the snow leopard program in the countries they've been working for 20 years or more they've they yet to see one what okay in the wild in the wild (laughs) what okay Oh, oh my god okay so how many snow leopards are so they're hard to study you've only seen two in 14 years you have colleagues who have been doing this for over 20 years they've never seen one in the wild how many are estimated to be in the area so roughly we have a, a, a sort of a guesstimate of somewhere between three and a half thousand to seven thousand snow leopards across the range which is which could be anywhere between one to two million square kilometers spread across 12 countries wow oh my gosh and they are considered endangered uh iucn ranks them as vulnerable which comes under the threatened category uh, for species i'm assuming years ago they were a lot more numerous we don't know we really have very little idea about how much their population was 100 years ago or 200 years ago. I'll just give you one very simple example. We Recently, we got a picture of five snow leopards on a camera, probably a mother and cubs or a mother and her previous litter and their respective cubs. And I was trying to look up for the word for a group of snow leopards, and literature doesn't have one. There's no word for a group of snow leopards in literature. You might have a word for a group of tigers. You might have a word for a group of whales or, or a, almost every other species, but there's no word for snow leopards. And to a large extent, it's because you never knew you can see more than one or you can find more than one together ever. And that, in a way, is a reflection on, uh, on how little we know right or how little we've known about the species until very recently it's only technology that has allowed us to be able to understand the species better now imagine 12 years not seeing a snow leopard i can't claim to be able to study a snow leopard if i'm not able to see right which is where technology comes to the rescue because we do have those cameras which we set up in the mountains and they become our eyes And they don't complain. They don't complain sitting in extremely cold (laughs) weather. You know, in the days, temperatures could be as high as 40 degrees Celsius. In the night, it could get minus 40 degrees Celsius. These cameras don't complain. Sit there, keep taking pictures, recording data for us for six months at a row. That's one of the many technological innovations which has allowed us to understand the species better. Similarly, we have these very clever um, um, GPS collars. Uh, they're just like a collar that your dog or cat may wear, but these collars have uh, transmitters which transmit very valuable information 
which has allowed us to understand what the species needs, how, how often it eats, what are the area requirements that it has, and so on. Of course, one of the best parts about these collars is after a few months, let's say about uh, 10 to uh, 12 to 18 months, these collars automatically come off. So you don't, the, the animal doesn't have to carry it uh, all okay. their life. But, but again, I mean, the point I'm trying to make here is that it's technology which has allowed us to understand them better even though we can't see them as often as we would like to. It's like trying to study a ghost. Oh, absolutely. No no wonder it's called the ghost of the mountain. Yeah. I mean, but do you see a lot of remnants behind when you're studying snow leopards? Absolutely. I think that's that's the key to be able to understand the species. If you don't see a species, you see its evidence. Sure. And... One of the reasons why a lot of people call it the ghost of the mountains is because they they see its footprints, they see animals killed by the snow leopard, mm. they see remnants of uh, what the snow leopard's done in a certain area, mm-hmm. and they hear them in in the winter or uh, around springtime when they're calling, uh, but they never see it. So I've met people who are 70 years old, they've lived right in the heart of what constitutes the home range of a snow leopard that we knew because it was a a snow leopard we were following. And uh, he has never seen a snow leopard in his life. 70 years right in the heart of a snow leopard range, in in the home range of one cat that we know, but has never seen it. Really? I... Are there some people, though, that you've met who have just gotten lucky and they've seen them numerous times? There are. So, uh, again, you know, I think the, the key to sp- spotting snow leopards is training your eyes oh. to what to look for and where to look for it, right? And there are places in India, for example, in Ladakh, in Spiti, parts of China, parts of Mongolia, where, uh, where there is tourism uh, going on, where people do go visit and often get to see a snow leopard as well. Really? Through tourism, really? Yes. Wow. Okay, I just didn't... Okay, I. so can I tell you what I did when I was in Africa, which mm-hmm. um, I wanted to see a leopard, which I know that they're not super closely related, which we can get into that later, but I wanted to see a leopard so bad, and I tried to use reverse psychology stop and i tried to say to myself i don't want to see a leopard i don't want to see you know what i mean and it didn't work so don't try my yeah don't try my methodology it won't work yeah but it helps to not have expectations yes that's a good point because then you're very happy seeing whatever you're seeing and of course if you see what you were in the back of your mind hoping to see it's a bonus right so keeping your expectations low is always a good idea Wow, but do you don't so when you're out in the field though hiking around these steep mountains, do you have like butterflies in your stomach thinking like this might be the day or do you just like you said have no expectations? Uh, well, being very honest, every time I'm in the mountains I'm just hoping what if there is a snow leopard on that ridge line. So yes, I'm I'm I usually uh, I almost always carry my binoculars and try to scan the mountains in hopes that, uh, you know, there could be one. In fact, one of the sightings that I had was uh, was very similar, where we were hiking on one ridge line and just scan, we were scanning through another 
uh, ridgeline, and we did see a snow leopard just walking almost parallel to us, but fairly far, almost a kilometer away on another ridgeline. What do you do? How long is the sighting? Is it just seconds? That sighting was pretty long. It it, it lasted for almost uh, seven, eight minutes because it was a very wow. long ridgeline. We had very clear view. So it just, this snow leopard just walked on that ridgeline slope. It looked very slow because it was pretty far, but yeah, we could see it for a while. Wow! And are you reaching for your camera, or are you just looking through, or looking through the binoculars, trying to take in the moment? At that mo- at that moment, I I was not even thinking about my camera. I just wanted to take the moment in. Good for it was, you. It, plus, it was a bit too far for me to, for my little camera to do any justice, right? I I, I actually used to carry a slightly bigger SLR uh, when I was working um, in the tiger landscapes because I could afford to Mm. carry it, lug it. In the mountains, I can't afford to lug extra weight, right? Every little, every extra gram is is just too much. So I I try to jettison all cameras and other things, just a binocular usually and some water probably. Yes. (laughs) And a few chocolates. Oh, I love chocolates too. (laughs) You, you make a really good point. Uh, I, we were recently in Yellowstone national park and we were watching wolves and grizzly bears like super far away. And you saw people, other tourists, like trying to take photos with their iPhones. And they like, (laughs) it's just like, you almost want to tell them like, just take the moment in. You're not going to get, good photos like and i feel like that's good advice for anyone really absolutely and if you want a good picture of a snow leopard there are hundreds of photographers out there (laughs) who've already taken brilliant pictures and many of them are freely available to make it make them your wallpaper or uh or or use them under the creative commons license so yeah unless there's something really exclusive that you're able to witness why bother? You know, just just enjoy the moment. <laughs> just enjoy it. Okay, so you talked about that experience. What was your what was the second sighting that you saw or the other encounter you had with the ghost of the mountain? Well, that was the most special encounters I've ever had with any wildlife. Uh, that was as far as you were probably with the sc- from the screen. Uh, I was that close to the snow leopard. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was remarkable. So we were we were walking on a ridge line, and uh, it was not a very high mountain ridge line. It was just 40 meters high. And on one side of the ridge, uh, in the in the little canyon, we saw a very fresh ibex kill. So we looked at it and we thought, oh, there must be an animal. And we were waiting there. A colleague of mine, he just walked down and tried to come into that little canyon from the other side. When he walked slightly closer to the to the kill, uh, to the dead ibex, suddenly I hear a whiff. So basically, where I was standing was a ledge, and just under the ledge, in a little uh, little uh, concave space, the snow leopard was sitting, and he just got up on the ledge, looked looked me in the eye almost made an expression how can a human come so close and i don't get to know looked at me with big round eyes i still remember every scar it had it was a male and looked at me in the eye with these big round eyes turned around and just i'd say trotted away like a ribbon you know they 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 have a very distinct way of uh, trotting away and it almost felt like a ribbon just trotting away from me and that was it few seconds but 
the most remarkable sighting ever. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, yeah. If I would have, if I, if I could reach out, I would have ended up touching it. But of course, never ever try to touch a wild animal uh, in 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 the in the wild. But uh, yeah, that that was my closest ever encounter. I feel like I was there with you. That is incredible. I mean, so you literally were on top of it. I mean, truly, right? And you just looked down. And he was, I mean, not even, what, must like have, four I, feet? Like three and a half feet no, away from you? Absolutely. And, and then when it came up, because it just wanted to get away, it just came up and it found me there. And then it turned around and just trotted away. Okay, so you were, okay, I'm just trying to get this. Okay, so you're like on this ridge, this little low ridge. I'm standing on the ridge. Okay. I'm standing on the ridge. Okay. And for some reason, the snow leopard decides to come up. Oh. So it climbs up and it finds me standing there. Oh my god! And says, "What human so close? I don't want this." Turns around, just walks away. <laughs> oh my gosh! Were the hairs on the back of your neck sticking up when this happens? Of course, absolutely. <laughs> Were you? Okay, so you've worked with uh, you worked in tiger habitat, so you know that uh-huh. some of these cats can be dangerous. Were you ever fearing for your safety, or can we talk about that? Because some people listening might be like, "Oh my dear God, if I see a if I see a leopard, I mean, I'm gonna be, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty scary." <laughs> yes. So snow leopards, for uh, for various reasons, uh, there's n- there are very few really very very few instances of snow leopards having attacked humans and the only time we have learned of any sort of an um, an injury to a human from a snow leopard is when the the former uh, has been uh, cornered uh, the snow leopard has been sure. cornered so in in that desperation to just get away they can charge and they can attack but this was an open space, right? I I wasn't walking up to him. He walked into me, right? Yes, that's a good point. And then, right? And then it realized, oops, wrong move. I need to escape. So on, on I mean, I, there are a few other of my, co- colleagues of mine who've had similar experiences. And now on, on all these occasions, the animals just want to avoid humans. They really don't want to. Uh, be f- friends if I may say so they have sure. no interest in, in being around a human so uh, yeah they, 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 the first instinct is to just get away um, wow that experience you know I've had we've had a lot of guests on the show where I'm nearing almost 170 episodes and we've had people share their wildlife encounters but I'll tell you what Gustav that is that's one of my favorite stories I've ever heard I, I mean truly to see just that encounter and 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 like i said you were probably least expecting it right you were just walking along yeah yeah i I had no clue that all this while while we were having the discussion we were standing literally three feet from where the snow leopard was just sitting and probably hoping we'll just walk away and for some reason he must have gotten confused seeing the other person thought ah there he is i should just get away from here and didn't realize I was there. But again, it just turned around, walked away. Wow. Okay. And let's talk really quick. How big are snow leopards? So snow leopards can be uh, about a meter long. Uh-huh. and But then you have to add another meter for their tail. So okay. there's a one meter of a cat 
and one meter of a tail. That's uh, roughly how big an adult snow leopard is in size. In weight, uh, there are there are they could be anywhere between 30, 35 kilograms to 40, 45 kilograms. There are some records which claim they could be around 50 or so, uh, but then those could be outliers. Yeah, so they're relatively, I mean, small, like compared to like a lion or a tiger or something like that. They're, the, they're one of the smaller of the big cats. Okay, the smaller of the big cats. So can we talk about this? I found this so interesting and I learned this fact a long time ago, but when you think snow leopards, you think, oh, maybe their closest relative would be something like the African leopard. But in fact, genetics share a little different story. Absolutely. I mean, snow leopards are the closest relatives of the tigers, right? What? Um, mind blown, everyone. Say that one more time. Just blow everyone's <laughs> mind. Say it one more time. It's so awesome. Well, snow leopards happen to be the closest relatives of the tiger, wow. uh, speaking genetically. And that's something we only found out with genetics uh, very recently, if I may say so. But yeah, that, that's it's so cool, right? The biggest... And uh, one of the smallest of the big cats are the closest relatives. Wow. That just blows my... Yeah, I mean, you would think that they would be closer, like related to the African leopard, Indian leopard, but they're right. not. That's really right. fascinating. And yeah. so so there's not very many of them in this area. Um, you know, they are considered vulnerable, only 3,300 to 7,000 left. What is the Snow Leopard Trust currently doing to um, help conserve the species? Let's talk a little bit about their conservation program. Sure. Right. So for any species, if you need to conserve them, you need to first understand what they need. Right. Sure. And then you need to communicate your findings to the masses and to the policymakers. And of course, you need to take action yourself. So broadly speaking, the Snow Leopard Trust uses a four-pronged strategy. We do research to understand snow leopards better, to find where they are, how many there are, how are they distributed, whether their populations are going up, going down, or are stable, and similarly understand this their prey, their habitat, and various other ecological parameters. So that's a research part. We invest in research. We invest uh, heavily in community-based conservation programs, which essentially means uh, working in partnership with the local communities that share their spaces with the snow leopards. And they have been sharing their spaces with snow leopards for centuries and millennia if not more so we have worked we've tried to work with these local communities uh, and build partnerships to try and understand the threats that uh, uh, that snow leopards and communities may face from each other and how can we work to minimize those threats uh, whether it is uh, a snow leopard attacking uh, attacking livestock and causing uh, causing damage to the livelihoods of the local people, or whether it is creating an opportunity for someone to uh, illegally poach and, um, and trade in the snow leopard's parts, or whether it is about building a 
uh, a, a building enough uh, support or providing support systems so that the, the communities have better tolerance to occasional losses um, to uh, off their livestock and uh, which in in other words is their livelihood uh, so so they have they have better uh, tolerance to losses uh, when you know a wild predator attacks them so that's the second part where we try to work very closely with the local communities on finding out the causes and the factors and the extent of negative interactions with snow leopards and how to minimize those. Third, what we do is what we invest uh, our time and resources in is education. It's very important to uh, to not only educate the the future citizens, which are the children and the uh, young people, but also the uh, the people, you know, the 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 grown-up population in the uh, who who are living there. Uh, education about why what we have is important, why it is uh, it it's valuable for us to be able to uh, have the uh, have the species living among us. And lastly. Uh, Whatever you may do, what, however big an organization is, uh, her reach will always be limited to to a few communities, a few landscapes. Ultimately, snow leopards are distributed across twelve countries. We need to we need to scale up. Whatever conservation action we do, whatever findings we get with science, they need to be scaled up and applied. At a broader, uh, at a broader, uh, across the uh, broader scale, and that cannot happen without the support and ownership of the government, which is where uh, we partner, uh, collaborate, and work closely with the policymakers to influence uh, developing um, uh, conducive policies that can be helpful not just for the snow leopards, but the entire ecosystem including the the communities that are living within those wow okay so so many questions to ask you first <laughs> how often do snow leopards attack livestock it varies uh carbon uh there are some studies which indicate that up to 20 25 percent of a snow leopard's diet could be livestock, oh. but again, as I said, it varies a lot. It could vary between individuals, it could vary between uh, different times of a year, and it could vary between areas as well, depending on access and opportunities as well. So uh, one wouldn't be, uh, but very, very uh, roughly speaking, of the total livestock losses that communities face in a year, about three to ten percent could constitute could be constituted by uh, by wild predators. Okay, and what other wild predators are there? Just the snow leopards, or do we have some other stuff that's coming in taking the livestock at night? The tigers. We have the snow, <laughs> not in the snow leopard landscape, thankfully. Uh, we but primarily we have the snow leopards and the wolves in a few oh, areas that and that's a very small amount of uh, uh, a small area again we don't know enough as yet mm. but in some areas we do have a little bit of an overlap between snow leopards and common leopards too Ooh. so um yeah there, there's some very recent 
camera trap pictures where common leopards and snow leopards have been photographed on the same same location oh we wow. don't know whether it's uh it's a new phenomena or it's always been like that there is ongoing research right now to to provide better understanding do they towards this do they mingle at all or no they're not i mean i mean they're not social right they're uh, not <laughs> absolutely not so uh, <laughs> i think all predators need to ensure their own survival sure. and minimize competition mm -hmm. which is why it is likely that if you have two predators they would like to stay away from each other or fight it out but usually they manage to live in a niche uh, that is segregated mm -hmm. enough for them to avoid fighting okay wow but i feel like they would i never knew that they would cross each other's path you're blowing my mind with the leopards and that would be would it be the Indian leopard or another subspecies of the... I guess there's several subspecies of the other leopards, right? There are several subspecies. We still don't have very good understanding of which subspecies we sure. saw overlapping with the common uh, with the snow leopard. Uh -huh. But there are a few records. So in, in India, we have a few records, camera trap records of a snow leopard and a common leopard in the same area. We have similar records in Pakistan, China as well. Wow. And it... <laughs> And in Bhutan, incidentally, there are records of tigers at the same altitude where snow leopards are. Ooh, wow. That, that sounds so exciting. And obviously the snow leopards would avoid the, uh, would avoid the tigers at all costs, I would only imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if I'm a snow leopard, I'd like to avoid any other big predator. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about the day in the life of a snow leopard. What do we know? Where, when are they most active? When are they hunting? And what are they hunting? So some of the recent research, which uh, primarily is based on telemetry, but also augmented with camera trapping data, indicates that snow leopards are crepuscular, which okay. is that they're, which is uh, what we mean by them, most active in the early mornings and late evenings. So that's, that's one thing we know about when are they most active. The, as I mentioned, they have home ranges, which could be somewhere around 50 to 80 square kilometers for a female, could be 400, 500 square kilometers for a male, and much bigger for some of those individuals who are, kind of, who are uh, floating around looking for a, for a home. Mm -hmm. So some of them could have a, an active, a home range of maybe more than 1,000 square kilometers. Wow. Wow, so they're crepuscular, and what are they actively hunting? What is a snow leopard's favorite food? Mine, mine is pizza, if you're wondering. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, pizza is mine too. Oh, good. Uh, for a snow leopard, for a snow leopard, the the uh, the most preferred diet, if we may say so, is mountain goat and sheep, which include ibex, blue sheep, argali in some areas, markhor in other areas. And and then of course, uh, uh, you know, they uh, there are uh, traces of livestock in some snow leopards. You see in sn some snow leopards' diets that you see. Then they're also known to uh, eat species like marmots oh. in some areas, and uh, occasional catch of a uh, bird too. So, so yeah, but pr broadly their diet consists of uh, wild sheep and goat. 
Okay. What is the general consensus of snow leopards within the local community? Do people like them? Are they scared of them? Do they hate them because they take their livestock? It's variable. Variable, but okay. Largely speaking, uh, snow leopards, because they are the apex predator, because they are a very mysterious-looking animal, they they uh, they have this aura about them, if I may say so. Uh, they are revered across um, across cultures and religions and regions. So there is a reverence uh, towards snow leopards, uh, and it's irrespective of which part of the world you're talking about um you know whether it's kyrgyzstan or china or parts of india bhutan or mongolia having said that uh conflict uh or or let me put it like this way having said that uh negative interactions whenever they take place they uh they they take a toll because they they cost a lot to the livelihood of the local people and they have the potential of of transforming the attitudes towards predators such as snow leopards to extremely negative attitudes which is where it's very very important that we try to work with the local communities uh, on a on a on a long term engagement basis so that we can uh, we can work together to ensure that uh, there are fewer reasons for negative interactions to happen and if and when the negative interactions happen the the communities have the support to be able to withstand that damage and that's the that's the foundation of many of the community based conservation programs that try to minimize negative interaction and whenever the negative interaction may happen it uh, it it works towards offsetting the the losses okay. uh, as 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 much as possible so okay so you will reimburse livestock owners is that uh, something that i wouldn't is... say yeah so i've okay not you know if you and the, it's a very good question corbin if i may ask uh, if, I, if i put it this way the moment we as an outsider go and start compensating a community member or a, a livestock owner for losses that have been incurred by a wild predator, we are changing the ownership of the wild predator from oh, that animal living in our area came and killed my livestock to your animal came and killed my livestock. So that's a very important factor to keep in mind while working on um, any sort of an uh, offset program right like a uh, 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 program to offset losses from livestock so some of the very successful programs that are uh, operational in the snow leopard landscapes they they work on the principles of let's say insuring your livestock so you contribute you become a part of it you insure your livestock and yes we are there to support top up the support so that the insurance can, uh, money can can be sustained uh, given the annual average losses and all the other calculations. But it's about building a partnership rather than someone coming from outside with money and just putting it there. Sure. There are programs uh, 
there are programs such as the Snow Leopard Enterprise that the Snow Leopard uh, Trust is involved with. And the purpose of these programs is to work with the local communities so that they are able to make better, uh, make better money out of resources that they have, uh, which is wool and other uh, products, uh, other products. And once they have the better products, they get uh, they they get to uh, they get to make up to eight to ten times more money out of the same uh, the same raw product. And what it does is it allow it 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 augments their incomes in a way that some of these losses uh, can be tolerated. They're still losses, but they 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 have better toler. It helps improve the tolerance to these. Uh, occasional losses that happen because of the wild predators okay so rather than just going and giving out money i think the key is in engaging with them building a partnership with them so that we jointly seek a solution because uh, the communities understand they very well understand the value of biodiversity they very well understand the value or the role these predators and wild uh, wild ungulates play in maintaining the ecosystem. It, all that we need to do is uh, work with them to find a solution so that the, uh, the interactions, the negative interactions uh, do not become overwhelming in various ways, whether in, in terms of too many negative interactions or in terms of too much of economic losses due to those negative interactions. Wow, okay. And is there a way, so for instance, in Africa, they have the same problem with the Maasai and lions and hyenas attacking their livestock. And they've come up with very unique and genius ways to, you know, ward off the predators, whether it be using solar lights, uh, dogs, a variety of different things. Have you instilled any of that within the local people in Central Asia to, to, to protect their livestock? So another one of the many solutions that really help minimize losses is is that of uh, predator proofing the corals where livestock are kept mm, okay. and again it's done in partnership with the local community representatives and members of the local community and once you have uh, predator proofed a corral the losses in that corral go to have to um, they must go to zero and that really helps similarly uh, it has been found with research that snow leopards have a very very low chance of making a successful attack on livestock which are actively herded when they're being uh, when they're out in the mountains so by uh, by incentivizing active herding and proper herding one can expect minimizing the negative interactions again. So these are the few of the many ways that can help minimize these negative interactions and uh, with a fair bit of success. Wow. So you've been with the Snow Leopard Trust for 14 years now. What is the most fascinating thing you've learned about snow leopards within that 14 year span? You know, Corbin, everything I get to learn about the snow leopards is fascinating. Uh, that they have such large home ranges was fascinating. That they managed to uh, to to survive in these areas, which you know, which which are, I mean, 
how do i put it that they managed to survive in a in habitats which are almost impossible for us to walk in or wow. walk on mm-hmm. that's fascinating that they are so few but they still manage to have communication with each other is fascinating and we often call it the facebook wall posting or the social <laughs> media wall posting where we when we find those scrapes and uh, uh, spray markings of snow leopards on very uh, you know uh, predictable locations so these these are like the wall postings and they they communicate with each other through these that's fascinating uh, that a snow leopard mom takes care of her cubs for almost 22 months which wow. is more than how much any other cat does is wow. fascinating so so yeah i mean if you ask me that they have this extremely long tail and how they use it whether it is to balance when hunting in these difficult uh, and and these uh, rugged mountains or to use it as a nose warmer when just cuddling and sleeping in the, the you know in the cold that's fascinating so yeah i can go on and on in every fact about a snow leopard is just so fascinating it, it's just remarkable well wow, that's amazing well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me how can people find more information about the snow leopard trust can they donate to help uh, you know these guy animals in the wild to support your conservation efforts yep uh, thank you corbin uh, so you can follow the snow leopard trust's work on our website which mm-hmm. is www.snowleopard.org uh, please follow us on social media you can just look for at snow leopards on twitter and snow Le- at snow leopard trust on facebook and instagram and please uh, do subscribe to our newsletter which shares very exciting information and uh, periodic updates about the work that we are doing every few uh, weeks and uh, yeah uh, learn more read more watch more and uh, talk more about the snow leopards because that's a species which cannot well all wildlife they cannot vote but you and i can and our knowing about the species and its plight can really help the species in the long run Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, Kastab, you're going to stay after for our Patreon members to have an exclusive Patreon members only party. Are you ready for this? I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank you, by the way. And if you want to access this, of course, you can join our Patreon page, patreon.com slash animals to the max to hear it. But with that said, I will talk to you later. Okay. We'll join you on the other side of the Patreons. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.